Morena and welcome. This is the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. And to finish the week for the Dawn Chorus, I'm going to focus on COVID-19. Obviously, the big news at the moment is the extension of the suspension of the Trans-Tasman bubble, at least with Melbourne. That's after a significant number of people were found to have had COVID, um, 26 as of yesterday. The problem is they were out in the wild for over a week. And there are now substantial numbers of unchecked primary and secondary contacts, 14,000. So many that Victoria had to bring in medical students to beef up its contact tracing scheme. There are 200 exposure sites, so you can see why New Zealand decided to extend the suspension of the bubble with Melbourne until uh, next Friday night. Also, about 100 of those close contacts in Australia, in Victoria, have travelled to South Australia, Western Australia and New South Wales. So it's not a good sound. And we know too that the Indian variant, it variant is an issue here. The reason I focus on the Indian variant is that um, with this latest uh, um, hiccup in the bubble and what we're seeing, uh, not just in um, Europe and the UK and Australia, but also looking more closely at how the Indian variant is tracking around, uh, I now think it's unlikely we'll have a significant opening of our border, at least beyond Australia, until well into the second half of next year. Now that may seem an awful long time away, but you've got to remember that our Treasury and Reserve Bank uh, in the last couple of weeks have both used the working assumption that there will be no real opening beyond Australia until the beginning of next year. However, the Australian Treasury is saying it won't be until the middle of next year. And the reason it's worth watching what the Australians do is because in reality, really, we can't open up until the Australians open up because most of our visitors either come directly from Australia or have bounced through Australia to us. So what ScoMo says about COVID-19 is actually really important. And remember, both Australia and New Zealand are really slow off the mark with our vaccination programs. Both of us are still in signal digit percentages. Meanwhile, in the UK, where 73% of the population has now had one dose of the vaccine, and nearly 50% have had two doses, they are still having big problems with COVID. Uh, when you look at more closely at the hospital admissions in the UK, uh, what you find is that um, the case numbers, um, one in 10 of the hospital admissions for COVID were actually with, for people who've had two doses of the vaccine. Almost 75% of the cases in the UK are now of the Indian variant. Thank you, Lynn. And um, what we're hearing this week is that Germany and France have both stopped uh, the Brits from coming into their country without um, mandatory quarantining. This is all about the Indian variant, which you probably haven't heard, but is labelled B.1617.2. And uh, that is the one that is really causing drama. And as we go further along, we realise that these lockdowns and these border closures actually really work. Reinforced this week by Dominic Cummins's uh, accusation of, against Boris Johnson that his incompetence cost tens of thousands of lives. That was confirmed uh, overnight by Neil Ferguson, the Imperial College of London professor. He was the one that did all that great modelling 
right back in March, which turned out to be true. He says that the delay of a week in mid-March in the UK cost between 20 and 30,000 lives. So we can be grateful that um, we went hard and early, if only everyone else had done the same. Meanwhile, overnight, uh, more news on the infrastructure spending front in America, the world's largest economy, remember, where the Democratic president, Joe Biden, is really pushing uh, the barrow out on infrastructure and stimulus spending. He is reputed to be about to unveil a $6 trillion infrastructure and spending plan. Remember, that's 30% of US GDP. Albeit over a decade, uh, he's certainly not worried about America's public debt, which is now over 100% of US GDP. It's worth remembering, remember we have a Labour government, and uh, however, it is being very uh, parsimonious on using its balance sheet to fund infrastructure spending and stimulus. Our debt, just over 30% of GDP, so less than a third of America's, it's unlikely to rise much over 40%, given the current forecasts. And yet, in our budget, uh, we only increased our capital spending allowance for the next four years by $4 billion to $12 billion. Remember, that's 3.5% of GDP. So our government, with a pristine balance sheet, has decided just to increase infrastructure spending by 3.5% over the next four years. America is about to do a 30% spending uh, splurge on infrastructure over the next decade. Remember, too, that all the grown-ups in the rest of the world, the IMF, the OECD and the World Bank, are all saying um, we don't worry about these type fiscal measures on debt anymore. It's all about the other things, the sustainability issues, inequality, climate change. Yet in New Zealand, we've still hung up on keeping a lid on debt and striking the balance um, when actually we should be just going hard to reduce child poverty, spend on um, climate um, emissions infrastructure and and on building houses to improve housing affordability and uh, just to give you a sense of how our underspending on infrastructure has caused um, so much drama for everyone over the long run and still causing drama out there yesterday the Wellington Council announced a 13.5 percent rates increase in part because it's having to do so much of the infrastructure spending itself, including a doubling of its spending on cycling infrastructure to over $200 million as it prepares to depedestrianise the Wellington CBD, which I'm, I'm cheering on. Um, and remember, uh, one of the worries about all this government spending is that a bunch of people say, ah, it's going to cause inflation and it's going to cause a spike in interest rates, which will be financially destabilising. Um, I actually think uh, it's not going to be such a bad thing to have a spike in inflation and higher interest rates. We try to get back to normal. But now that um, we really have a too-big-to-fail housing market and stock market, a big spike in interest rates would potentially cause trouble. But what will that actually happen? Janet Yellen, the US Treasury Secretary, said overnight that um, she still sees this inflation spike as temporary and it's not something that's endemic. And the European Central Bank also told its markets that they needed to settle down and realise that the inflation spike was temporary and that they were going to stand behind the uh, European bond market and keep interest rates low with plenty of quantitative easing money printing to buy government bonds. And I think Adrian Orr is um, realising that this week's decision to include a forecast of a 1.5% increase in the OCR, which would make New Zealand one of the first 
developed world central banks to actually increase rates might have been a bit aggressive. And he's come out in an interview in the MBR to say that um, he's still holding open the option of cutting the OCR and having negative interest rates. Remember, that was the clause of boilerplate commentary in the Monetary Policy Committee statement that was taken out this week. So uh, I think it's worth revisiting this assumption that interest rates are necessarily going to rise. Those are the key things to watch. Uh, this this day, the 28th of May, that was the dawn chorus on the kaka. I am Bernard Hickey.